For those that are online, again, I ask you to continue to pray and hear me, child of God, as we respond to the outbreak and the unrest that we see, the racial motivation and the injustices that we see. This is not new to us as a people, but more importantly, I want you to remember that we do not respond as the world responds. We respond by going on our knees and praying. We don't act out of fear, we act out of faith. We don't vent out of frustration, we talk the talk of faith. And I know that there are so many different uncertainties and different movements out there, but I solicit you, child of God and friends, to remember that before anything happens or is done, God has to give permission and the okay for whatever to happen to happen which means nothing hijacks God, nothing catches God or center. Everything that happens, God either permits or he allows. So take courage, Christian friends and family, to know that God is still doing what he's always done, and that's rule sovereignly. For a few moments, I would like to draw your attention to a passage in Psalms 149, verse 4. Go and get your Bible, go ahead and get your app. Use your Android device or your Apple device, whatever it is. Go ahead and turn your Bible open. Go get your kids, go get your wife. Wives, go get your husband. Sit around the table and share with the word of God with me as I share with you what God is saying to us. It's very important for us to know that we don't live by bread but we live by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God. And that's what Christians, that's where we find our authority, that's where we find our encouragement from. Psalms 149, verse 4, you will word sandwiched between these nine verses. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let me read that one more time. For the Lord takes delight in his people, semicolon. He crowns the humble with victory, period. What a invigorating passage. What's a passage of meditation? Something for you to ponder on this week. Psalms 149 verse 4. The God's delight is in his people. God crowns the humble. What a passage. I want to talk about for just a few moments humility and victory. Humility and victory. Being humble. Having victory while being humble. In Psalms 149, starting at verse 4, God is introduced to us in these nine passages. And yet, as he's brought to us, the stage is set for the saints, not the sinners. Let me say that again. He's brought to us and the stage is set for not the sinner, but the saint. The call is to respond to God. How does a Christian respond to God? How are those who have been blood washed respond to God? How 
does the regenerated ones respond to God? Those who have been rescued from various pits, how do you respond to the first one, the one that was here before creation ever took place? Creation is a word that seemingly creates pictures of God's thoughts and his words. It's a, it is a conjectory. It's where God's thoughts and his words come together. And so Genesis sandwiches it in a seven-day time period. And in that seven-day time period, it says, And God made, and God created, and God made, and God created. This Psalms 149 centers and squares itself next to creation and God trying to get us who have been regenerated, who have been rescued, who have been saved to respond to God. So he says... If you're going to respond to God, sing a new song. Sing a new song. Rejoice to God. Lift your voice in praise to God. To adore God. Yet these lyrics from this psalmist seemingly falls on deaf ears. As the call is to all creation. Isn't it something, child of God and friends, how everything with us is conditional? How we want to wait for the right moment want to wait for the right time, want to wait for the right people. And yet God, none of that affects how God makes his decisions or how God creates. Matter of fact, it's just the opposite. God does what he wants, when he wants to. He does how he wants to do it, when he wants to. And guess what? He does not care about how you or I think about what God does. He just consistently creates and when God creates everything, hear me, friends, is in harmony. Yeah. When God creates everything is in complete cooperation. When God does something, everything is in agreement with God. When God does something, there is complete tranquility with God. God centers himself around creation and loves everything he does. And here's what he says. Genesis 4, 149 and verse 4, who gleans from Genesis, uh, the first four chapters, says this, everything God makes is good. Creation is good. Man and female is good. The birds of the air, they are good. The fish in the sea, it is good. Light and darkness, it is good. Moon and stars, they are good. God delights in creation, yet he finds his delight in me and you. The, in those created in the image of God. And so God's authorship, Psalms 149, when it talks about creation, says that God is a king and he rules like a king. He, he rules so much like a king, listen, that he chooses his Holy Spirit to dwell with us. He sends his son to redeem us. And yet all of them work in complete cooperation with each other no matter what the days, no matter what the seasons, no matter what our steps are, listen, God still rules. Mm -hmm. And here we are struggling. We struggle with our steps. Yeah. We struggle with our days. We struggle with our seasons. And even our presumed success, we struggle with it. Yeah. Our falls and our setbacks is based off of what we consider ourselves to be our willingness. In other words, I choose what I want to do, when I want to do it, and I'll get back with you or when the circumstances or consequences don't fall the way I plan them to. And he says, in the midst of us going the opposite way, God still finds delight in us. Isn't that something? 
He says, God has planned plans for you. And yet, even though some of us who are saints choose to go the opposite way, God takes pleasure in us. Listen to what the word pleasure literally means. Pleasure means God is bending over looking at you. It means God is staring at you. It means God has a habit of looking for you. And here's the shouting news, friends. God loves listening to you. Yeah. Did you hear that? God loves looking at you. God loves staring at you. And the shouting news is God loves listening to you. Isn't it something that God, in all of the passages of the Bible, he constantly calls for you to pray to him. He calls for you to seek him. He calls for you to ask of him. And I'm here to tell you, child of God, that the communal relationship with God is so delightful that God takes pleasure in talking to people who have fallen from grace. Falling because of their ego. Falling because of their expectations. Falling because they took their eyes off of God. Falling because they felt like they were more than what they were. Falling because they felt they deserved more than they got. And yet God bends over heaven's doors and looks at you. He looks at you even though you don't deserve it. And he takes pleasure looking at you. And he takes pleasure hearing you. And he loves to see you. So much so that God searches for you. Creation is indebted to God, he says. Sing to him a new song. Creation is indebted to God. Rejoice to him because he's your maker. Creation is indebted to God. So be glad because he is your king. Creation is indebted to God. So don't underestimate the gifts of a new day. Creation is indebted to God, so don't dismay, don't discount, because things didn't turn out the way you planned it to be. What if what the way it turned out was exactly the way God wanted it to be, God Almighty? What if what you looked at as a frustration was really God creating faith? What if you looked at as a failure was really God straightening you out and putting your life in order? What if the disappointment that you're struggling with and that you lead yourself in the past of destructive, destructive behavior in terms of depression, what if that was God's plan? And because you couldn't wrap your arms around what God was doing, you led yourself somewhere to a dark place. But look what he does. He says, God is your maker. He is a craftsman. He works on things that has flaws. He has affection for those things that lie in creation. Listen, God makes himself known to creation. He shows you he's God by every little thing that you go in in life that doesn't turn out the way you want it to be. God uses the setbacks to show you that he has used them as setups. God uses your, stepping, your stumbling blocks to show you that they are stepping stones. God uses these periods in your life that you feel as though you have been abandoned to say, listen, I am the one who's directed and ordering your path. Let me share with you, friends and loved ones. It's been every time that I felt like my back was against the wall and that I did not have nowhere to go, that God made a way out of no way and it was unexpected because God will not take the beaten path. God will create a brand new way so you can say, what a mighty God, we serve. I challenge you, don't become predictable. And don't think God is predictable. Leave room for God to blow your mind. And so because creation is creation, he gives creation a gift called self-will, where we get the word permissiveness from, which means that we, God, gives me and you the ability to choose to honor him. 
to choose to recognize him, to choose to adore him, to choose to lift him up, to choose to say that there is none like him verbally. He gives you the ability to make plans without even consulting him. What a God you serve. And we call this permissiveness or permission. Or some theologians call this the basis of the permissive will of God, while others argue there is no such thing. There's only the will of God. Look what he does. He creates images for us when we talk about permission. In these few verses, especially verse 4, when he leads up to it, he says this. He, used, he says, there's Israel and there's Zion. Look, it's right there in your passage in Psalms 149. Israel, the one who wrestles with God. Zion is the one who has been sanctified by God. Israel, his real name is Jacob. It's only Jacob before he's been transformed. And yet Israel can act like Jacob even after he's transformed when they revert back to past behaviors. Let me say that again. Israel is those that act like Jacob even though they've been set apart. They revert back before they were transformed. It's a Christian. It's a saint that forgets about what God has done for him, where God has brought him, how God has ordered your steps, how God is making plans for you, that you revert back to the posture of the ungrateful. Jacob, that's what he calls him, the wrestler, the hill grabber, one who talks one thing and does absolutely something different. However, Zion is the one who is godly. Zion is the one who is faithful. Zion is described as one who understands that God has planted me somewhere. Zion is that character that says this, I am where I am because God has taken my bad choices and turned them around and made them successful. Listen, if I am a success, Zion says, it's only because God has brought me through some dark periods in my life to where I had to realize it was God who made me and not me myself. So the path that laid out for me, here's where he says the humble are okay with the process. Here it is. Either you're the hill grabber who wrestles with God or you're Zion who lets God direct your paths. Either way, you're in a process and you have to be okay with how God brings you out. So you're sitting here and you're saying, Pastor Slack, I'm not sure exactly what you're saying. Let me see if I can square this some more. This Psalms, by many Old Testament scholars, have been called the Song of the Sword. And did I mention that God is the creator? Did I mention God gave you the ability to make decisions and giving you what we call permissiveness? Did I, did I mention to you that God lets you make your own decisions? This is because of a fellow by the name of Lamech, who's found right there between Cain and Noah, Lamech. He is the reason for this Psalms 149. He's the one who turns around and shakes his fist in God's face and says, I will do what I want to do whenever I get ready, how I want to do it. He shakes his fist at God and says, I'm tired of the way things are turning out and the way things are going in my life. I want to take matters into my own hands. He is the father of polygamy because he does not want to just have one wife, he wants to have two, which sets the stage for the flood. He He's a rebel. He argues with God and later his stance of argument and independence gives more ground for what we call self-will. The humble are those that recognize it's not my will, but it's his will. The humble are those that say, guess what? It's God's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. 
The humble say, guess what? I am the clay and he is the part. The humble say, I am a sheep and he is my shepherd. The humble say, I am the afflicted and he is my healer. The humble, I'm trying to tell you right now, are those that say, I am lost and he is my God. The humble are those that say, guess what? I am dark and he is light. Maybe I'm preaching to myself. He said, those who are humble make themselves low. They don't talk about their credentialing. They don't talk about their accreditation. They don't talk about what they've accomplished. They don't talk about what school they went to. They don't talk about how they graduated cum laude, mega cum laude, or summa. They don't talk about any of those things. They just respond like Paul. Paul says, I am nothing but by the grace of God. Paul says it like this. I've had 14 languages. I've mastered seven, and I still count it as done. I've set before great men like Amelia. I've set before great seasons. I've instructed kings. Yet I count it as dumb. Humility means, listen, you ignore the plaques on the wall. You ignore some of your accomplishments. And you say, everything I am, God made me. Everything I know, God taught me. Here it is, friends. Abraham, book of Genesis, chapter uh, 10 through 18, is the narrative of Abraham. Yet 25% of Genesis focuses on how he stumbled. Look at it. Genesis from chapter 18 picks up the narrative of Jacob. And though it talks about Jacob, here it is. Jacob. 25% of Genesis focuses on Jacob. And while it focuses on Jacob, it centers around how Jacob wrestled with everything that God was trying to get him to do. Yeah. He wrestled. Yeah. When God was trying to make him humble, make him low, take away his credentialing, take away where he thought he was, even when God was working with him, God says, just Jacob, if you just let me be God, yeah. I'll yeah. let you sleep on a pile of rocks. Yeah. And while you sleep there, it'll be uncomfortable to everybody else. But it'll sleep just like you were laying on a mattress. Here it is. Lastly, he says, there's someone else I want to talk to you about that God made humble. His name was Joseph, yeah. who prided himself in a coat, coat of many colors. And yet, though the coat was gone, it did not take away who he was. Lord, help me today. And there's some of us here that have embedded and entrenched ourselves to different titles and different postures and different positions. I'm here to tell you, if you lose your job, it's okay. You're yeah. still with God. If you lose your house, guess what? It's okay. You're still with God. If your car is repossessed, it's okay. You're still with God. If you lose your health for a moment, yeah. it's okay. You're in God's hand. I'm here to your child of God, the humble. Do not look at what they lost, but look at Yeah. So Jesus takes this word humble, and here's what he does for you that are watching us online. He says, blessed are the meek, yeah. for they shall inherit the earth. The meek and the humble are one and the same. All right. yeah. And some of you all think you've been disrespected, so you need to respond. Some of you think because someone has hit you that you need to respond back with a blow back to them. Some of you all think because someone has damaged your character that you need to go and dig up their past and the buried bones of their own proclivities. 
Some of you think because you have been slapped that breaking out windows and walking down the streets and setting cars on fire is the way we respond as Christians. I say no to you. I say the way we respond is we fall on our knees and we take this word of God and we pray for those that have been mistreated and we pray for those who despitefully misuse us and we lift them up because real humility is choosing God's way versus your way. It's a mental ascent. It's emotional alignment. It's knowing that your weakness is a strength rather than your strength makes you weak. Some of us here, we want to respond back because we feel like somebody has reduced us. We feel like somebody has taken away from us. We feel like somebody has made us low. But I tell you, if you try to hold on to something, God will let it slip right through your fingers. If you try to express how worthy you are, God will let your proclivities, the things that you privately are in bondage to come right before your presence. God knows how to undress you. I'm not going to talk about pride because pride, God doesn't mention because it literally is the thing God hates the most. Proverbs said it's seven things that he hates and yet pride is the first one on the list. So I like this Psalms 46 verse 4, uh, 49, 149 verse 4, and it's in the third person. Let me explain to you what the third person is. Third person is where you are the outsider looking in, which means you take yourself outside of yourself and you look at yourself as though someone else sees you. Let me explain because I'm trying to make sure that we get the message and we get the point with clarity. Here it is. First person is where you say I and me. I don't like. You and me don't like. That's first person. Second person is where you take on the other posture where you look at yourself as you and your. You and your. But third person is where you step outside yourself and you see yourself as you are. Like Paul does in the third person. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this bondage of death? Third person. Third person is where you're like Job. He says, naked I came in the world, and naked shall I leave. Third person. Third person is like King Uzziah. He says, woe is to me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live of unclean people. Third person. Third person is Moses' confession going on the mountain where he says, Lord, I need you to fix me. And God says, take off your shoes. He says, I can't talk because I'm unworthy and I have a stammering tongue. And God says, I'll go with you. Third person is when God tells Esther, he says, listen here, I'm going to do something for you. And Esther says, listen, if I perish, let me perish. I'm going to see the king. Third person is when you look at yourself outside of yourself. Rather than you march into that blowstring drum of me and I, that blowstring drum to where you say, I don't know. But here's what David David does. David says, I know who I am. I know I am. So much so, he says, he knows my upright. He knows my down sitting. He knows my thoughts from afar off. He knows my desire. Look at how David sets it up in third person. He says, if I respond to God, He knows what I'm going to say. He says, if I make my bed in hell, he's there. If I go to the furthest corners of the earth, he's there. He says, wherever I am, there's God. He simply says, God knows me. 
I'm trying to wrap this up now, but here it is. Have you ever thought about the real image of humility? It's Jesus Christ himself. He is the image who God has delight in. That every time God sees Jesus, he says, this is my beloved son. All right. And whom? I'm well pleased. Yeah. On the mountain of transfiguration, he shifts it and he says, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Not the media. Not your friends. Hear him. Not what some person of influential uh, prosperity or success has to say, but hear him. Have you thought about it? Solomon says, look, it's all vanity. No matter what you have, it's vanity. No matter what you learn, it's vanity. He says, when the queen of Sheba came and she left and said, the half has never been told, it's still all vanity. Look at what Jesus does. He's born in a stable, makes no complaints. Listen, he's lost in the temple, makes no complaints. He sleeps with fishermen, makes no complaint. He walks with 12 men who smell like fish, makes no complaint. He sits with Zacchaeus, a known tax collector, makes no complaint. Help me, somebody. He lets his feet be washed by a prostitute, makes no complaints. He sits down and martyrs himself as he lays in a garden, praying as sweat drops off of his brow, makes no complaint. He hangs between two thieves. Makes no complaints. Matter of fact, the scripture says he does not say a mumbling word. Look at how this humility. After all of this, he borrows another man's tomb. Makes no complaints. He wraps his clothes up and folds them on resurrection morning and makes no complaint. And instead, a returning to his father, like a conquering king, he stays here for 120 days right. to teach humility. So here it is. He said he crowns you. Crowns you and I, the humble. One pastor said it like this. He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Resists the proud. Give grace to the humble. This is where we get the word yatal. Yatal means present. Where you are now presently. Yatal describes God as God. It's a Hebrew word that looks at God in your present situation right now. Meaning God is working with the prideful, the ungrateful, those who don't appreciate and always ask for more, those who can't see what God is doing no matter how much he's done. Here it is two months into the coronavirus, and there are some of us who have not gotten one stimulus check, and yet you're still making it. Here it is, some of us who have not gotten through on unemployment, and yet you are still being provided for. Some of you who have been classified as non-essential, and guess what he is still? He says, listen, I need you to look at God, y'all right now in your present and say, Lord, thank you for what you're doing right now. Thank you for who you are, and thank you for where you're bringing me. And for you who have had bouts with illness, you who have had COVID-19, you who have had families that have been placed in hospitals, you have something that you can shout about because you have had first-hand experience of what God can do. Yeah. So then, I like the last one. And the last one is katal. It's the Hebrew word that talks about future. You have a future. God crowns you. Your future, have you spent time focusing on your future? 
Just as much time you spend on your present, you ought to spend that same amount of time on your future. Adoring God for where God is taking you to. What God is doing for you in the future. The doors God is getting ready to open for you. Spend time preparing yourself, not for today, but for tomorrow. Let me be clear. I know you're already saying, no, Jesus said not to worry about tomorrow. But he did not say not to plan for tomorrow. God Almighty. He plans every step. Jesus plans every step. Yeah. And every time he plans the future, he says so that the scriptures will be fulfilled. He plans the future. Your future, when you get ready to come out of this COVID and you come out of phase three, what does your future look like? What does the church look like? What does your witness look like? What does your faith look like? What does your disciplines like praying, like reading, like singing God's songs, what do they look like? So I struggle with this, friends. This crowning. So let me explain it to you the best way I learned it. It's like a soldier who's went through a battle. And while going through the battle, he experiences a lot of discomfort. He experiences long days, hot seasons, wet seasons, sleepless nights. He experiences. And then after the whole war is over, he stands at attention waiting for his commanding officer. And his commanding officer comes up and pins him in front of all of his platoon and says, listen, this soldier has done what he was asked to do, has stood where he needed to stand, has held his tongue, and has kept his commitment, and he crowns him in front of everybody. I'm trying to get you to see that when God crowns you, he does not do it in secret. He does it in front of everybody. He opens doors in front of everybody. He opens windows in front of everybody. He brings you before kings and princes in front of everybody. I close by saying that God is still planning right now, but he's already laid out your future. Song I grew up with said it like this God has done so much for me. He's opened doors I could not see. He said, God has made a way when there was no way. Oh, yes, He's already done everything that He said He would do. And all that choir would rear back and He would say, He's a doctor. They'd say, Oh, yes, He is. They'd say he's a lawyer. They'd say, oh, yes, he is. They'd say he's water and dry places. The crowd will respond, oh, yes, he is. The leader of the song would say he's already. Crowd would respond, done what he said he would do. Leader would say it again, already. He's done what he said he would do. And that's what God, he gives you victory by opening doors and plans. So for some of you, under the sound of my voice at home, in your front room, in your